Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. So this Sunday, there is a big day coming up for sports lovers. Um, now, I am not so much of a sports lover. We could go through the psychology of how my not love of sports started. Was it my father wanting only boys and getting stuck with three girls instead because he wanted to sp- pass sports on to them and none of us were good at any activity that didn't require a leotard? Um, was it getting picked last every year at gym whenever there was a game of kickball or basketball or there's probably many reasons. I, I do do some sports, play a little tennis, skiing, water skiing, that sort of a thing, but... Um, Sort of the organized sports stuff um, has never been my thing. However, here at Jew in the City, we like to showcase lots of different lifestyles, and it shouldn't just be all about me and the things that I like, because there are all sorts of different types and stripes out there. And we want to show that being um, an observant Jew, um, you know, a person can have all different sorts of interests and talents. And um, and so we have a very special guest here today, someone that actually got pretty far in his career. Um, in one particular sport in football, um, as with this big uh, game coming up this Sunday. Um, And then he had uh, a change in his life, and he decided to adapt an observant Jewish life and became an Orthodox Jew. If you haven't figured out who it is yet, his name is Alan Weingrad, and I hope I get all the sports terms correct today. I'll be reading off of Wikipedia. Alan, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be on. With that intro, I hope I didn't scare you away. I'm not exactly a sports hater. It's just not exactly my thing. But I, I certainly love, we have to have had Tamir Goodman on before. Um, I don't know, did you hear about Esty Ackerman? She's this 14-year-old ping pong star. She's actually applying for the Olympics this week, which is wild. Wow, that, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. You didn't scare me away, and, and you should know, and your listeners should know, there's a big difference between being a player and being a fan. And I was a player. I'm not such a fan. However, I do watch a little football, and I, I do enjoy watching the NFL with, with my family, and I will definitely be tuned in this weekend to, uh, to watch the Super Bowl, but I'm not like a huge, huge football fan. All right, so at least we can share that. We're not fans together. Woohoo! Um, so can you give us a little bit of a, give our listeners a little bit of a background? Um, how did you get into this sport? I mean, you're a big guy, so was it just, you know, automatically you had a natural, you know, sort of uh, sway towards athletics, unlike me, and kind of the chips fell in that direction, or was it a dream from childhood? No, no, actually, I, um, I'm a tall guy. I'm not, uh, I am certainly a big guy today, but I was a skinny little, you know, Jewish kid, and I had a brother who was a bully, and he used to beat me up all the time, and my father got tired of uh, picking broken things up in the house. So he bought us helmets and shoulder pads and footballs and jerseys, and he said, guys, take it outside. So my brother and I started to play football together, um, growing up in English Town, New Jersey, playing ball outside at the age of six and eight years old. My brother was two years older, and we got involved in Pop Warner Sports and football, and, and um, we moved to South Florida, and we just kept on that, on that track, and, and it, it kept us out of a lot of trouble. So now you were the younger brother, and he was bigger than you. Did you end up taller than him? I see you're six five. Yes, yes. I I, uh, I passed him up um, uh, one summer. I was talking to a group yesterday, and and I, you go through one summer a growth spurt where I put on about four or five inches through the summer. So I, I passed him up, and he's uh, he's six two. So 
Uh, then I had to spend all that time in the weight room, you know, building myself up. In high school, I spent hours and hours lifting weights, and, and certainly in college, lots of hours lifting weights. I had great coaches that taught me how, how, the, how the technique of weightlifting is very important, and my, start, my body started to catch up with my, my height. Did you ever have, was there any other sport that you were into? I'm saying, did your tallness, once it, you got tall, leaned, uh, push you towards basketball, or was football always the, the sport of choice? Uh, football is definitely the, the sport of choice. I was, I was very into powerlifting and, and strength training exercises, and I really didn't have great coordination and speed for basketball or, or vertical leap uh, in my high school days, but I had this interest in, in, in movement and strength training and power training, and that moved me out to the track field. So I was a, a high school track athlete throwing the shot put in the discus, and I was pretty good at throwing the discus here in Florida. And it was really the distance of my discus that got me a college scholarship. It wasn't my, my football uh, prowess. That ability was average, but my, but my discus ability was, was fantastic. So the coach at East Texas State, where I, was, where I earned a scholarship, said, you know, you're getting a scholarship, not off your football ability, because I think you'll be there someday, but you're not there right now. But I know you have some athletic ability, you know, based on your track and field accomplishments. Hmm. And so you started, so now in college, I'm seeing here now online that you got into the position of offensive lineman. So for those of us that are neither players nor fans, what position is that like on the football field? Well, people ask me all the time, do I still play football? And I have to educate people and let them know that when I played football in, in high school, college, and the National Football League, that I actually never touched a football. My job wasn't to run or catch or kick a football. My job was to really move another man out of the way, you know, move him a foot to the right or the left or push him back or, or slow him down so the quarterback has time to throw the football. Certainly I can throw and catch a football, but, but my job is really uh, in the trenches and moving, and moving people out of the way. And, and uh, when I got to East Texas State, the coach said, you're going to be a lineman. You're not doing anything but, but that, so get as big as you can and as strong as you can. Push people out of the way. So you got switched over to offensive lineman. You're playing for a while. And then take us from the college years to the NFL. Is that what you went to afterwards? Am I saying that right? Yes, yes, you're saying that right. So just to, just to reference back what you said earlier, it was never a goal, dream, or desire of mine to play in the National Football League. As a youngster, as a, as a high school kid, I had an orange staff shirt. I was, I was uh, given the responsibility to pull the net. And that means that I was the kid in the end zone with this orange staff shirt that before the, the field goal or the extra point was kicked, I had to pull up the net with, with uh, a few other people so the ball wouldn't go into the, into the uh, end zone, into, into the stadium. And they would do that to keep the football on the field. And so I got to see the Miami Dolphins and all their opponents for a number of years to see how big and strong and powerful they were. And I realized that I was never going to be in that position but when I got to East Texas State and started to spend all, those, all that time in the weight room, the coach saw that I was starting to grow, and he said to me some point during my, I guess, the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year, that I have developed into somebody that who could play in the NFL. Uh, but unfortunately, my dream to play in the NFL was shattered after my senior year where I had tryouts with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and back in those days the Houston Oilers. Uh, and it was the following year that I tried again, and I, I happened to uh, uh, go up to Green Bay and, and sign a contract and try out for the Green Bay Packers and, and make that football team. 
Now, okay, I'm, I know very few positions, but is the linebacker that huge guy, that really ginormous position? Well, or it's, no? it's, it's, the, it's the offensive line. Okay, it's the offensive line, and the, and the offensive line's job is to, is to block and protect the quarterback and the running back. Okay. So they're on the offense with the quarterback, running back, and the, and the wide receivers, and their sole mission is to block and make holes for the running backs on running plays and to protect the passer, who is probably the most highly paid guy on the team, the quarterback, and mm-hmm. keep him upright and allow him at least four seconds to throw the football. And is this terrifying at any point along the way that you're smashing and crashing into these huge guys? Yeah, it's terrifying every <laughs> second. <laughs> um, I was looking at uh, my highlight videos. They showed it at an event I was at last night, and uh, it's it's a painful uh, it's a painful prof- uh, profession. Uh, you don't realize it at the time, but you know when you watch it now and you see the impacts and you see. You, know, you see the injuries, and certainly I feel the injuries today. Mm. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy game. It's a crazy way to make a living. But you're so young, this, and you think you're Superman. Mm. So this, um, I have a question now, which could segue into the, sort of the next section. I'm saying, as you're crashing and smashing, and you're terrified, I'm wondering at that point, were you a man of faith? So, take us now to your childhood and your Jewish uh, upbringing and childhood. What did that look like in terms of education, observance, belief? Right. Um, so I, I, was, I was raised in a conservative household. Went to a, we went to Temple Zion, a conservative synagogue here in Miami, Florida. My mother would occasionally light candles on Friday nights. My brother and I would quite often giggle. We thought it was, we thought it was funny. We didn't understand what was going on behind uh, the candles being lit. She always would make latkes for, for uh, Hanukkah and give us eight presents. And we'd also go to Grandma's house for, for Passover, which was never an exciting or fun experience because the food was never never good and nobody was explaining anything or telling us anything, so we'd go there and eat bad food and not have a very good time. Uh, we would take off two times a year from going to public school, which was Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, however, we would go to football practice after going to synagogue those those two days. Sounds very similar to mine, but replaced dance class with football, and we and the food was better on Passover. Um, and do you remember? Uh, did you uh, have okay. faith when you were a kid? Was was God something that you thought about, or? Uh, I probably would say no. I, I you know as mm-hmm. a kid I don't really feel there was much of a connection at that time. Mm-hmm. And did you have any perceptions or ideas about Orthodox Jews as a kid? Did you see them in any capacity or have any ideas about them? Well, I was growing up in, in Miami, Florida, which not a Miami Beach, out in Kendall, Florida, which um, there wasn't uh, an Orthodox community there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I did spend a summer at the age of 13 in the Catskills with uh, an uncle and an aunt, and I do remember going to a kosher pizza place and seeing a lot of chassidim there. But I didn't really understand it. I remember maybe once or twice somebody put the film on me as a kid. I heard about the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Somebody once mentioned it, mentioned it but I, I wasn't really sure of, of what, what all these things meant. But the so, bar mitzvah so, for me and my brother was... I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, sorry. What were you going to say? I was going to say the bar mitzvah for me and my brother was really the exit out of Judaism, like I believe it is for most American Jews, yep. where you, 
you, you get a tap on your shoulder and you said, okay, you did it, you, you succeeded, and, and you move on as a family. And that's how it is, I think, for most American Jews. You just you don't go back to synagogue after that. Your parents stop with the dues, and you just you continue on in life. And that's how it was for me. I just continued on. But, you know, at some point when I got, you know, into my college days and being the only Jew at East Texas State University and hearing my teammates and classmates and roommates often ask me about being Jewish, I started to, like, kind of look internally and started to think about this and why they asked me these questions. And these were religious Christians, and, and East Texas State's located in the Bible Belt of the United States of America. And these people would go to, you know, church on every Sunday, every Sunday and they just seemed like they had an interest in, in Judaism more so than I did. Mm. And maybe just start to think about it a little bit more. Hmm. So, okay, so you're thinking about Judaism through college. You're lifting weights and getting stronger. You try for the NFL. One time you miss, the second time you make it, and suddenly you are a professional football player. At that point, are you thinking, like, that's it? I've made it. This is, this is winning at life? Or does the, are there any Jewish thoughts that are happening? Well, actually, to answer your question, it's, it's yes to both. I make the Green Bay Packers, uh, which is an unusual thing for really a, a free agent rookie, which I'm not sure if you know what that means. But, not at all. Uh, somebody who's <laughs> not drafted. Somebody who's not drafted in the NFL. Um, and a rookie, I'm a rookie. It's, my, it's really my first year in the NFL. I make, I make the Green Bay Packers, and I'm scheduled to start opening day. A very unusual uh, situation I found myself in, but I was fortunate that the, um, <clears throat> the guy in front of me retired. And um, I'm sorry, the, the guy in front of me was holding out for a larger contract, and his backup retired. So the Packers didn't really have much of a choice uh, mm. other than to put me on the, on the field. But what happened was once I made the football team, I was given a, a phone message note uh, like you'd get from a secretary, and I walked into the Packers locker room after the tryouts were over, and I made the team. I was a Green Bay Packer, and there was a mm. phone message note to me from Lou Weinstein with a local Green Bay number. Now, I, I was the only Jew in the locker room for those six weeks. I never met another Jew in Green Bay unless, of course, I was talking to somebody from the media that perhaps was, uh, was Jewish. But other than that, I was the only Jew on the football team in the locker room. Other coaches were Jewish. I didn't think there was any, any Jews in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Not that I was looking, but I, see, I found myself holding a message from, from the team secretary to me to call Lou Weinstein. So I called Lou Weinstein, and it's a somewhat of a longer story, but he basically was reaching out to me to say, hey, I read about you in the Green Bay Press-Gazette, and the Jewish press happened to mention you some weeks back that you're one of five Jews in the NFL. Can I mm. buy you lunch? And I said yes, and we had lunch. And mm. during that lunch, he just started asking me a few questions, and he invited me to his home for, for lunch on Rosh Hashanah. And it was a very powerful experience. I wasn't sure what was really happening that day, but I certainly found that years after uh, how it's an obligation for Jews to look after another Jew, and it's a privilege for us to always look after each other. And he was certainly uh, setting that example. And wait, was Lou Weinstein an observant Jew? It was just one Jew reaching out to another and bringing you in for holidays? He was not, sort of right. He was, uh, he was a conservative Jew right. um, who, who saw there was a Jew in the Green Bay Packers, and he reached out and wanted to know where I was living and if I needed anything and if I knew anything about money and if I needed to invest my money and... and um, you know, what, whatever I needed, he was basically the guy, the guy mm. in town. He was, uh, uh, he was a businessman, and he was successful, and, and unfortunately he passed, he passed uh, you know, some years back, but he knows I talk about him quite often. But he was not, he was, he was, he was uh, a conservative Jew 
who uh, saw there was a Jew in town, and he wanted to make sure I was uh, looked after. That's beautiful. So when did the, I guess the the you know beginnings of more observance begin? What were it was it did it come with thoughts? Did it come with actions? Kind of what began that journey towards a more observant life? Well, the journey didn't really begin until until um, I guess it was a two years. After I was retired, I was already two years married uh, with, a, with a daughter. My, my uh, cousin is a radiologist, and when you're a Jewish boy playing in the NFL and you get hurt, the first person you're going to call is, is your mother, and your mother's going to tell you exactly what you need to do because you can't really rely on the team to give you the exact uh, diagnosis. So quite often I'd get hurt, and I'd call my mom, and she'd always tell me to call Cousin Jonathan. He's a He's a radiologist, and he's a distant cousin, and he happens to live in, in Miami. So I started to interact with this guy during my seven years in the NFL. He helped me many times. And now that I was two years retired, he, uh, he called me to ask me how retirement was. I said, it's great. I'm having a wonderful time. Newly married. have a two, uh, an eight-month-old daughter. And then he said to me, would, would I like to come to his house for Shabbos? And my initial response yeah. wanted to be no. Like, like why would I? Um, I? I knew he was observant. And I, I, um, I just didn't see any need to do that or anything in common because I wasn't playing in the NFL anymore, and I didn't really need his mm-hmm. medical advice anymore. But I said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And my wife and I loaded up the truck, and we drove from our home in Fort Lauderdale down to his house in Miami Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, met uh, uh, his four children and, and my cousin Abby, who made a, uh, four, a five-star gourmet Shabbos meal for us. And I certainly do like to eat a lot. And I and they saw that and they fed me quite nicely that evening. And after the four words of Torah that each of his kids gave that evening, he saw that I was not interested in, in much more Torah talk. He just asked me if I would do him a favor and go to one Torah class given by a rabbi friend of his who does outreach in, in the South Florida area and I said I would do that for him. Mm-hmm. And that so opened my actually... eyes up to yes. Oh no, I, I didn't wanna I, I wanted um keep on with this, but I realized that we kind of left the NFL stuff without mentioning that you won, what's it called, you won a Super Bowl, you were in the Super Bowl and won it, how do you say that, what's the right? Yeah, you got it, you got it. I was on the, uh, I was on the Dallas Cowboys after I left the Green Bay Packers, they spent two years there, fortunately for me I was in the right place at the right time on a great football team, you know, coached by Jimmy Johnson and, and great Hall of Famers, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin. And I was a part of the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 27 uh, in 1993. And so, okay, and then you left, that your career ended due to injuries. Uh, no, my career ended because I felt like it was time to move on in life. I felt like ah. if I continue doing this, um, what is it going to look like in 10, 15, 20, 30 years? Am I going to be able to play with my kids, grandkids? What's going to happen? Um, and I, I actually walked away from the game. I felt like I, I did what I needed to do. I got a Super Bowl, and I saved my money, and it was time to go do something else. Oh, very nice. So I'm saying you had even that perspective before you uh, adapted a life of more observance. Okay, fine. So I like that, that you go on your own terms. Very nice. Well, is there a certain average career that most people are playing professional sports? You know, I always thought it was four years. I, I don't remember who told me this recently, or I read it, or, or I saw an interview somewhere that said it's a little bit less. But it's really based on position. We're quarterbacks. If you see this, you know, if you see, you know, Peyton Manning, he's almost 40 years old. He's been in the NFL for, you know, for almost forever. Uh, quarterbacks, it seems, and kickers and punters, 
you know, seem to have a longer career. Uh, perhaps linemen have a longer career, but the, the skilled positions and the positions that have uh, more of a running start have a shorter career. So, you know, I probably played twice, twice the average amount of time in the NFL than, than mm. most. Average person. Interesting. Fine. So, so let's go back to Shabbos. So you great, great meal, great food. You agreed to go to the Torah class. Right. So I go to the Torah class, and it was the same thing that I experienced when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. It was a very long, boring subject about the Jews wandering in the desert. And it was an outreach program, and the rabbi was in somebody's home. And it was a beautiful house, probably the nicest house I've ever seen in my life up until this point. And I just cannot get over how beautiful this house was. And I recall that evening was a Wednesday night, four or five guys, you know, six or seven ladies sitting, sitting around this particular person's living room. And I was really focused on the house and the drapery and, and the chandeliers and the flooring and the carpeting and, the, and everything that makes up a home to this level. And I remember I was thinking about if I ever owned a home like this and how I invite my teammates and we would play, play in the backyard in the beautiful swimming pool that I was looking at in the lake. And I was watching the sunset thinking about this house in such a very deep way. And the rabbi gets to the end of the class, and I, I refocus, and I start listening to him again, and he starts talking about meaning and purpose in life, that if you focus your life strictly on materialism, you won't have a very meaningful or purposeful life, and the, and the class ends. And I was a little, bit, uh, a little bit concerned that the rabbi had some ability to read my mind while I was <laughs> thinking the last, the last uh, you know, 50-something minutes. And I went up to him after the class, and I said, can you please explain something to me? It sounded like you not only talked about history, but you also talked about something here present now today. Are you, are you saying that this is an inspirational, this is inspirational? Because if it is, I'd like to know more about it, because I've studied inspiration as a, as a football player, and I studied the greatest coaches and players in, in every sport. I read their, their biographies, and, and I was very into, uh, into inspiration, and I still am. But the game ended, and I had no more coach teammates, schedule, itinerary, and I felt like there was something missing for me. So he said, no, this is all about, all about inspiration, Alan. This is all about bettering yourself. This is a roadmap, the battery pack for a Jew. And if you'd like to come to another class, I'll bring you, I'll bring you a, a Torah book. And he brings me this, this first chumash that he gives me, and I start going to these Torah classes for about seven, seven, seven or eight years. When I could, every Wednesday night and and at times he would, he would invite us to his house for, you know, to sit in a sukkah or to have a, a meal at his home. And I was starting to learn and read a little bit on my own. And I did meet a number of other people in the community, a number of Chabad rabbis who became very instrumental in, in my life and my family's life. And, and as a family, we decided we wanted to make some, you know, some changes. And the first thing that goes along with that is you take your kids, which were, we had three at the time, uh, you take them from public school, you move them to Hebrew day school, and if I knew the cost of a Jewish education, I would still try to play in the NFL. <laughs> and, um, and then you coach your house, and you start talking about family purity and start to understand that. And, of course, you get to fill in, and you get a, a talus, and you start learning how to reread Hebrew, because I haven't read Hebrew in many, many years. And, and it was about 10 years after the game ended when I, I and my family, we decided we wanted to you know, make that change and, and start to observe, uh, observe Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And um, have you, so and you've kind of taken your story. I mean, you go around, you speak a lot. You, do you ever speak to young observant athletes and, you know, kind of coach them or mentor them in terms of, I mean, because your journey 
was, you know, in retirement and something I discussed with Tamir Goodman was, you know, could there ever be a professional um, athlete that is, you know, Shomer Shabbos? So do you, do you have a coach young kids like that that are observant that want to try to do both at the same time? Um, I, I'm not so sure that it's a, it's a possible thing to do because if, if I'm, and I spoke to uh, 40 boys yesterday, I was in somewhere in, somewhere in Arizona, Phoenix, 40 boys, and, you know, they're, they're, I guess, middle school kids, and I'm sure they're all athletes, they all play, they all play sports, football, um, basketball, they probably are very active, I'm, I'm quite sure. Um, I didn't get questions around that, but over the years I have had questions by observant young young kids that that want a life of, of playing in the National Football League, and I would never tell anybody not to you know chase chase your dreams. However, I believe to play at the pro level, it would require you to to be observant an observant person once you get to the pro level. So oftentimes I get asked questions and sometimes I ask audiences, could you play in the National Football League if you were an observant Jew? And many times people would say yes. And I said, well, how would you get the experience? Because Friday night, observant mm-hmm. Jews sit around the Shabbos table. Mm-hmm. Friday night, high school kids are playing high school football across this country. That's mm-hmm. called Friday Night Lights. They're playing, that's where they get the experience and they get the exposure. And then mm-hmm. Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock, every Saturday afternoon throughout the fall, you have college football games, and that's where they're getting the experience again, and that's where they're getting exposure to playing the National Football League. And when mm-hmm. you get to the National Football League, they travel on Saturdays, 10 o'clock a.m. every Saturday morning. Those planes turn on, and you fly to that city where you're going to play. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you have a game on, on, uh, on Monday or on Thursday. And as you know, Allison, I don't have to tell you, as an observant Jew, we have a tremendous amount of holidays right. in the fall. And that's when football season is. So how could you play in the NFL when you're going to miss a number of games? So I joke, but I say this uh, in sincerity, that if you were early in the NFL and if you became one of the the best players at your position, i.e. a a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady, and you happen to be Jewish, and you decide after your third, fourth, or fifth year as one of the greatest quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, would the team make exceptions for you instead of playing – 16 games, perhaps you'd only play 13 because if you would fall out on, on a Jewish holiday and you would just leave town on Friday mornings and not, not leave on, on the Sabbath and you'd meet the team after Shabbos and get ready for the game. So I think it's uh, an interesting concept that perhaps one day we would, we would see that. I'm not sure the rabbis would like to see that, but <laughs> it's, it's, a possible, it's a possible thing. So I don't know. I, I feel like you know, with we do this uh, yearly Orthodox Jewish All Star um, event, we make a list up, and I, I don't know. I see in more and more categories, um, people are doing things that have never been done before. I feel like in media, sort of TV and movies, and sports, it's kind of like the last frontier. But um, Tamir Goodman said that his father, as a lawyer, was like one of the first people to wear his yarmulke, and things weren't so easy to be Shomer Shabbos lawyer back when he was practicing, and. Now, you know, lawyers can do almost anything. So, I mean, we've had, uh, you know, our, we've an all-star this year who's um, the general counsel of, of Madison Square Garden. We had a lawyer a couple of years ago who was chairman of one of the most prestigious law firms in, you know, the, the country. I guess I hope that maybe, you know, as the world becomes more understanding and different lifestyles. And also, I guess my other question is, if you take, like, this S.D. Ackerman girl, 
So she's not playing t- uh, ping pong on those 25 hours of Shabbos, but she's making it up in the other six days a week. But it's, it's because it's a, it's a sport, it's a team sport. Is that the difference? Is that what you're telling me, that because it's a team sport? It's well, it, it, it's a team sport, and if you look at the National Football League, for whatever reason, you have five Jews in the NFL every single year. Um, mm-hmm. You have probably more owners in the NFL than you do players in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing probably in, in, in baseball and, and in basketball, I would imagine. But there's, there's so much money that you're talking about. And I just don't know if you would, if you would have that flexibility. Now, I know if I played for the Dallas Cowboys and I went to the ownership back in the days I was there and I let them know that I was now becoming a Torah observant Jew, they would have, ask me very nicely to uh, pack my bags and to enjoy <laughs> my Shabbos and, and they'd walk me to the door. However, back in those days, if you're a great, great player, if they would have gone to the, to the team uh, ownership and the coaches, uh, I think there could have been some flexibility. So, I, I mean, I, I agree, in it, but I also disagree with what you're saying. Certainly in, in a variety of industries and, and careers, um, you have Shomer Shabbos and people wearing yarmulkes, but in the rough and tumble, tough and, and tumble environment, of the National Football League. I just don't know. We're not there yet. It's a place. Well, well Alan, thank you so much, much for your time and sharing involved. your fascinating story with us. Oh. We're out of time today, um, but really, um, okay. you, you made football more interesting to not a fan. So thank you so much, and we wish you best of luck in the My future pleasure. and continue spreading your inspiration. Okay. Okay, okay all Alice. All the best to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.